For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Jackson. This was not his first time on the Side Project podcast, as you will find out. Uh, but it is one of my favorite interviews that we've done on the show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and over the time, we've gotten to chat a lot. And uh, Chris Jackson is planning on coming back. He is currently sailing all over the world. And hopefully, we can line up a time to get him when we start getting our full on reboot of episodes underway. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a little preview as to what is to come. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Side Project Podcast. This is episode 38, and I have with us a special guest that we've been mentioning on our website and talking about, and he's come back to join us before he was here with Ed and a couple other people, Scott Dubai. Welcome, Chris Jackson. How are you doing? Doing great, Nick. How are you? I am doing awesome. You've been on the open touring schedule, running around all over the world doing stuff. What, uh, what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, we just got back to the United States. Uh, as uh, some of your li- listeners might know, um, I am kind of a, a little bit of an expat. I, my wife and I uh, left perfectly good jobs to go sailing a few years ago, and now uh, the writing is kind of paying, paying for a sailing habit. So our boat, our home, is currently in Panama. A little place called Bocas del Toro, and we and but we're coming back to the states for some blogs and some conventions. I'm doing Gen Con and Dragon Con, and then we'll bundle things up and head back south. Do you have a thing where if somebody says boat versus ship, does that throw you off sometimes? Um, yeah, I I have a boat actually, but yeah, anything okay. over like a hundred feet is supposed to be a ship. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, I'm kind of a. I was I was never ship. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was always curious about that. I. Uh... I do some Renaissance stuff on the side where I play a pirate character touring Renaissance festivals. And oh, cool. Almost every time somebody says boat, I ask them to clarify whether it's a boat or a ship. But right. while I play as one and I try and do my research, I don't always get everything exactly right as far as what I know. Right. Uh, and so it gets really funny sometimes where if I'm off a little bit by exactly what the definitions are, if I come across somebody who actually knows, then I sound silly, even though I don't realize it till after the fact. And then I spend three days going, man, how come I didn't know that? Yeah, I, I, you know, my dad was a fisherman and I've been around boats most of my life, but I still make mistakes. In fact, I'm not 100% sure about the 100 foot thing. It might be 100 tons. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. Okay. I'm quoting you. We're well, going to put it on the Oh, I'm on the spot. <laughs> so you've been sailing. And being around boats your entire life? Yeah, my father was a, a fisherman on the Oregon coast. I really didn't start going to sea until I was about 11 or 12 years old. But uh, I pretty much worked every summer of my young life 
on the back deck of a fishing boat and really kind of fell in love with the sea. Although, you know, I had to get over some seasickness and, and some blatant fear about, hey, this big thing's trying to kill me occasionally. My father really instilled a, a, real, a real respect for the sea in me. And he was a boat builder and a, uh, kind of a jack of all trades. So, and oh man, talk about characters. All these old salts, really crusty old bastards. And yeah. just that you meet every day. And these are real people. So I have this huge, like, bin of personas that I dredge up anytime I need like a secondary or tertiary character and and I've used them in the past so what uh any anybody that stands out somebody like a main character or anything um, based off someone there's a character in uh, a, a series of books I wrote for a, a small Canadian press um Dragon Moon Press uh, the Scimitar Seas novels that won me some parts. Oh, okay. yeah the the, the uh the mentor character of the main protagonist, um, and oh my god, his name is, <laughs> is just skips my... But anyway, he was scarred on one side of his face from a burn, and the thing about this character in real life was he had a quip for everything. He never used the same little quip twice. And I swear oh, wow. to god, he made him up on the fly, and <laughs> and just... And Olivia doubled over laughing, just with these little one-liners just out of nowhere... And uh, so, yeah, that, that's where I got that character. Nice. And there's a whole bunch of them you have just sitting in the background? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just tons of tons of people I've known over the years, yeah. Is the is that the first series you started that really put you on the map? That's the first series that kind of got me outside of just the self-publishing thing. Up until that okay. point, yeah, my career's kind of been backdoor. Um, I started out self-publishing, kind of went that route because I really got disgusted with with submissions, and I had an agent for a while that really I couldn't make work for me, a real agent, you know, gen, you know, reputable New York agency. And okay. I just couldn't make it work. So we did some self-publishing, and then I met somebody at a convention, Jana Oliver. She's an author uh, whom I really respected, and she recommended me to Dragon Moon Press, which is how they accrue new authors. Their, their authors recommend new authors. Okay. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a little easier than reading slush, you know. <laughs> they they do open submissions like once a year for a month, and I know the editors there. He says it is unbelievable. They get they'll get five six thousand manuscripts in a month, and then they wow. wade through this stuff. And and I don't know if you've ever read some slush, just like no open submission stuff. But you know, if you can if you can construct a sentence like subject object. A verb in the right place in the right tense. You're ahead of about nine. You're ahead of the game. People to submit to to slush files. So you know at least you got that going for you. But uh, but yeah. So I did that series, won some awards, and then with that under my belt, and I had met Ed Greenwood and my existing editor uh, Gabrielle Harboy. They insisted I went to Gen Con. Although I didn't have any gaming-related stuff published at that point, and that was that was the kind of the tipping point where I walked up to James Sutter, who's the fiction editor at Paizo, and basically said, "Look, you know, I I write pirate stuff. I've had this four-book series that's won me awards. You guys have all this pirate stuff that you are publishing in your game, but none of your novels are nautical yet, and I'm the guy that can write that for you." And so there was a niche there. I went in, I pitched to him, and six months later. He uh, came to me and said, well, send me some short fiction. And then it just kind of snowballed into uh, a novel and then two and then three. And 
and Pirate's Prophecy was the third, and it just came out in February, and I'm working on the fourth right now. Any hints on the fourth one, or is it all secret, secret? Um, the title is going to be released at Gen Con, um, okay. but I can probably leak it to you early. <laughs> <laughs> I just got frowned at from my wife. I'm not supposed to do this. Anyway, it's called Pirate's Curse. Okay. So this is cool. the first time it's being released anywhere, so... You're special. Well, maybe I'll uh, wait <laughs> to release this episode till Gen Con. How's that sound? That would be oh, awesome. You're not in yeah, trouble. because that's when that's when I'm 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 re- that's when I'm releasing some other books, and it's on the list of other books by Chris A. Jackson in the back. So yeah. Well, I've got to tell you our little our little personal group here, myself and Adam and Matt on the podcast, and a couple of other friends. They are all, what's the word? Amazed by the pirates books that you wrote. Oh, cool. Uh, Especially the the way that it kind of it ramps up. Every book seems to have just this little bit more and this little bit more, and you keep adding to what you already established. And there's so many cool things. Uh, we were actually curious. Do you actually role play? Oh yeah, yeah. That was another another plus with going to going to James is I've played D and D and I've started playing uh, Pathfinder, but I, I've played D and D since 1978. Okay, it really I gotta say. And it was a silly question, but I had to throw it out there because if I was wrong. Yeah. But we were like, he's got to be a role oh, player because yeah. he's got to understand to be able to write it with such detail. Yeah. We sit there, and, and I know that on the Paizo website you've gone on and you said, well, he's kind of this these classes here and there. But the fact that without going online and looking, we sit there and we theorize to each other, and we all just agree every time we read the book. We go, okay, well, so-and-so just leveled. And this is what spells they picked, or this is what you know thing they gained from that last adventure. Right. And you can see it on the pages, but it doesn't. But it it's part of the story. It's not like separate from the story, and it doesn't detract from the story. Well, thanks. And we thought that was amazing. Thanks. That's that's actually one of the big tricks about writing tie-in fiction, for especially mm-hmm. for gaming, is you have to use game elements without the person who's reading it realizing that you know. We always say they can't hear the dice roll. You, know, right. you need to read the book without hearing the dice roll and yeah. and realizing that this is a story based on the game elements. Yes, I'm going to follow the rules to a T because I have to because there's guys like you that, that are gamers that are reading it going, oh, man, she shouldn't be able to cast that spell. She's only fifth level. There are. Right? So, but, yeah, so it's tricky. It's tricky. And that's where a really good editor comes into play, too. I get a lot of feedback from the editorial and having other other writers, other Pathfinder Tales writers, like Beta read for me. Um, yeah. I've had Dave Gross and Lane Marcel and um, Howard Andrew Jones Beta read for okay. me. And uh, it, that's invaluable, too. Yeah, I, I bet. And I believe Dave, he's he's kind of the one that kind of started the ball rolling. Didn't he get some of the first few books? He, yeah, he was, the, the he was their first kind of go-to guy. Of course, you know, he was um, an editor for Dragon and Dungeon Magazine, so... Yeah. Talk about knowledge of the game. Holy crap. Exactly. So, yeah. And and he's a cool guy. He's really, really helpful to new writers and, uh, and I mean, knows the genre like and, – and the publishing industry just like the back of his hand. So he was a good choice. Yeah. You want to go through some of the some of your books? Talk about each of them individually first. Uh, these pirate books. Um, well, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned also of them stepping up. Each, each one adds more. And and yeah. that's kind of difficult because well, you know, I started out with with Pirates Honor, 
and mm-hmm. it was more of um, and it was kind of an experiment too because there's a lot of a love story involved in that book. Yeah. That you know you think oh RPG gamers ooh romance ick, but no it it you know real people real characters have relationships and so I didn't and issues with those relationships. Oh yeah, that's the whole point of it. Nothing nothing can be simple, but that wasn't the story. I did not want to write a romance book. What I wrote yeah. was a rollicking tale. If you take you know Ocean's Eleven and Pirates of the Caribbean, water up in the fall, <laughs> you have a basically pirate scam novel, and yeah. throw into that a whole bunch of relationship mistrust, trust, and betrayal issues, and you know I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Minor spoiler here, but when Celeste is yes, by, spoilers. They should they should read it by now. <laughs> when Celeste is like semi seduced by the bad guy, it's like. Oh my God, you know, so it was a right. lot of fun doing that. So the the trick with the second novel is, okay, we're past the mistrust part. Mm-hmm. They're still in love, and now we go for the big rescue novel. So that's what mm-hmm. Pirate's uh, Promise was all about, is, you know, you take the two people that are now totally devoted to one another, um, no holds barred, and then you separate them, and somebody gets into trouble, and you have to rescue them. So, and that's where that, and I got to bring in Breve Jaffet a lot more, whom I love. Every, I think everybody does. Okay, then I can't tell you anything, but you're going to see her again. <laughs> awesome. We, I, we were all hoping that we didn't see the last of her and her character, at least, at least it is, so it wasn't just a, oh, hi, I'm here, see you later, right. in a chapter, but we were hoping that she would continue to be a main character right. in, the, in the story series yeah well as you know um if you've read pirate's prophecy the third one um, mm-hmm. she's a big character in that oh, um yeah. and and she kind of gets a little bit more ballsy she's not just the the seductive spy anymore she she pulls it right out of the hat and you know burns some shit to the ground <laughs> well and in pirate's promise the second one she went through quite a bit of trauma oh. herself to get her to that place. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, it, that was the crucible she went through. She absolutely mm-hmm. just, you know, that was breaking point time. So, yeah, her character um, I really love a lot. So, we will see more of her in the future. How's that? That's great. Okay. I, to be honest, every single character has their own little theme, like a little style yeah. to their own. So, when you see or hear them or they come into the whatever the scene is, right. They are so very much different and stand out from all the other characters. Well, good. I, that it really brings them into the fourth world. For forehold, fourth. Uh, I don't even know what forefront. that is. Forefront. That's the <laughs> word. You got it. Ten points. I had to use a thesaurus so, on that one, but. <laughs> yeah. To the point where a lot of my friends, they, if they take leadership or whatever in the game, they're picking characters from the crew to name their 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 cohorts and followers. Oh, excellent. And I've heard that happened a few times. Uh, and it's just really interesting to see someone make a, you know, make or play a character based off of Grogal or Snick, who all the girls that I know that have read the book, that's one of their favorite characters, just because of how how unique she is. We'll say unique. Snick rocks. Snick is is a happy-go-lucky, deadlier-than-hell. <laughs> right? You know, she's so, she's so, yeah, she's very different. She just, she loves life. She loves her friends, but do not piss her off. You know. <laughs> Where did you get the uh, the idea for the character Ben Rahi Khan from the first from Pirates Honor? Um, to tell you the truth, um, kind of 
I just, I needed a suave, male, powerful, rich, sexy bad guy. Someone that would almost be tempting? Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of almost, um, um, oh, I'm losing names here, but yeah, if you, if you take the suave, sexy, male, bad guy motif and kind mm-hmm. of roll it up into a merchant prince, that's what I was going for. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name. The, 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 the blonde um, wizard in Harry Potter, the guy. Yeah, uh, I can picture it. I know who you're talking about. I can picture it. Right, right um, yeah. So kind of that little just totally confident, totally full of himself. Feel, he's, he's invulnerable because he's so rich and so powerful. And, yeah. and he's also devastatingly handsome, charming as hell. He has to be. He's a merchant, right? And, yeah. and so when you ball all that up into a character who's, who's out for his own good, he's a dangerous guy. Not because he can wield a sword, but because he's so manipulative. Yeah. So yeah, I had fun with him. And I liked your use of of spells and how spells affect characters and and doing things within the boundaries. So while certain characters are under effects of certain spells, they still have their own agenda. They're just kind of swayed a certain way. Right. Yep. Playing around with the charm person spell is one of the things I I love to do the most. In in the most recent book, um, Pirate's Prophecy. There's a lot going on with the harbor master in in mm-hmm. Ostenso, um, Lothera Kothos, and yes. and how what she's like. She's just kind of a, a in-your-face brutal, narcissistic but deep-seated insecurities, and she's a mess. But when yeah. when charmed, she kind of kind of changes a little bit. But it was it was because it doesn't change your base personality. It just changes how you view the person who's speaking to you at that moment. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's tricky to play that in, but I'm glad it works. I'm glad it works. Yeah, I really enjoyed how her mindset changed. Right. So much, you know, throughout as the thing happened, and then there was all of a sudden this one like turning moment where she's like, "Okay, I need to change something." Right. And it throws the whole, like, as a reader, you're going, "Oh no, I, that, how is this going to affect?" everything right mm-hmm. but yeah and so it was it's another thing that another thing i wanted to mention was uh that all the people i have talked to because again almost everybody in our circle has read the, these these books of yours oh excellent the way that you wrote how familiars work oh because <laughs> normally people that play the games right they go it, it's a familiar okay well if something happens you know it, it's it's just a familiar Right. It's that's all it is. It gives right. me a plus oh. two to this or a plus whatever. Yeah. It's meh, whatever. Everybody who's read it goes, I they all are thinking how can they get a familiar for their character. Right. Yeah. Because people. they didn't realize and I'm the kind of person who understands how worthwhile small things are. Oh yeah. So I'm always the kind of the person that no, you don't understand. I, I have a familiar. You don't understand what they can do and I have to show them that. And even me reading it went Wow, I never thought about using it for that. Yeah, yeah. Or just the connection and how the emphasis was, and knowing what it is, and reading the book, there's a part where emotionally you feel for the characters for things that happen, especially in with what happens in the second book in Pirates right. Promise. Yeah, 
you're really, as a reader, are affected almost in the same way as the characters are. Good. That's what I was aiming for. Yeah, and you nailed it, got to tell you. Awesome. That, that so makes me happy. I learned a while back that if we like something, we're, we should tell. Because some people, I don't want to say anything because it looks like, sounds like we're kissing bottom. But at the same time, if everybody does that, you're not going to get any feedback as right. to what people what people like and don't like. And I really, I don't have anything that I didn't really like about these stories. But again, I'm a pirate character at heart. So my first, right. my first, not my first character, my uh, uh, Renaissance Festival character, whose name is Captain Maxwell Drake. He is based off of a D and D character I made in Second Edition before Pirates of the Caribbean came out. All right, yeah. And then we just upgrade him, and he was called Max Dragonfly, and it was really cool for me to go and be able to see and read books that have some of these really cool like tips and tactics. And I always find myself unique when the other guys run for this particular character of mine because of some of the weird things I do to throw things off. Right. And it was really fun to read some of the more detailed tactics and, and the actual like sailing and combat and ship movement and things mm-hmm. like that. And be able to read it from a person who actually knows what they're talking about as to, opposed to a person who kind of just looked it up and winged it. Right. You can actually see that difference, and it was really nice to understand, to read it and understand it. Even people who don't know, so if people don't know what the jibs are or what they are, even reading it, you, can, you give the idea of, okay, well, even though a person who doesn't know what these things are is reading it, they can still understand what it means and right. how it affects the story without having to know exactly what it is. That, that's a difficult balance for, for any writer who's an expert in something. And I'm by no means uh, uh, like an expert in sailing. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you're a mechanical engineer and you're writing uh, a novel that has a lot of technical things in it, or you're a soldier and you write a lot of um, military combat things, there's a fine line, and you have to find it for yourself, that you need to go up to but not cross. If you cross that line, it turns into stuff that can bore a reader. Yeah. But but you need to involve enough. And this was a long learning process when I was writing the uh, Scimitar Seas novels. I initially wrote it with a lot more uh, sailing terminology, jargon, everything. And then... I went through and edited it and decided, well, that's just way too much. I'm going to bore people to tears, and I backed off quite a bit. And then Gabrielle Harbaugh, who was my editor, went through it and and said, can you just explain this a little bit without explaining it? Because that's what you don't want to do is explain every tiny little thing. Yeah. So working it into, okay, this is what happens when a ship jibes uncontrolled under heavy winds – things break. And so you have to describe what happens in technical terms without getting too technical. So yeah, it's tricky. It's really a fine line. And uh, and once again, it's good because um, my my editor at Paizo, James Sutter, is not a nautical guy. And none of the Paizonians really know ships or sailing much. Mm-hmm. So they look at something and said, I don't understand this, right? So that's the perfect sounding board on the other way, on the other yeah. end. So that so that you have to you know you just went overboard so but yeah I'm glad that I I hit that balance I try to hit that balance anyway. Have you ever thought of or did they ever think of or was it ever brought up in conversation of putting maybe in the back of the books a one or two pages of certain terminology and what they kind of mean? Well, 
in the pirates books, there is a glossary of like Galarian terms, but not really so much sailing terms. Okay. I was, it was fun because uh, Wes Schneider pimped me for to write the introduction to the um, Ships of the Inner Sea supplement, mm-hmm. and uh, that was basically my job was to create a, a little glossary of nautical terms, a small one, and up front that you can use in your adventures to spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Not to get to, you know, and it, it was like no more than 30 or 40 words, you know, yeah. or terms. And uh, just to give some, some non-nautical types a little, bit of, a little bit of nautical terminology. It was interesting because one of the, um, the novel I just wrote for Privateer Press that's not out yet, they wanted a full-blown nautical glossary. Wow. And uh, so I gave them one. Not a, you know, super detailed one, but probably a few hundred words. So that the, the reader could say, okay, what's a force day? Yeah. And they look up force day in the glossary. Personally, I don't like to break the reader's attention. Yeah, so they have to go Terms look. like that. But, uh, you know, once you do it once, then they know what it is, and, and they can just read and absorb. So Yeah. I was just curious because I, I didn't know if it was ever a, well, I'll throw these in there for a bonus, or like you said, this might detract from that whole that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a tricky line to walk. But have, yeah. Have you ever heard of the Pirate Primer? It's a book? No, I haven't. It's it's like the size of a Bible. And it that's uh-huh. it's basically what it is. But this guy from has taken terminology and themes and thoughts from everything that's ever been made about pirates and he put them all into this one giant almost Bible of piracy. So half the book is terminology and what they mean. Wow, yeah. And a quarter of the book is how to string sentence together in like a pirate sort of lingo. Ah. And and it's really fascinating. And I ended up getting it to help me when I'm performing out at Renaissance Festival. And it's got like – it's got a whole chapter on insults and it's got a whole chapter of all kinds of different things. And if you ever get the chance to just – just to peruse it just for fun. It's it's also very entertaining to read even though it's – because they'll take things from like, well, so and so in Aladdin used this term, and he was a right. sailor or a pirate or whatever, and they use it from you know anything from Muppet Treasure Island to you know classic, classic actual historical references. Right. So it's really interesting and fun, and I just thought I'd throw that out there because I just thought about it when we were talking about the terminology. Yeah. I got a lot of my nautical terminology by reading Patrick O'Brien's novels. Okay. And he wrote. Um, Historically accurate nautical fiction from the Napoleonic Wars. So tall ships, cannons, that kinds of thing. Mm-hmm. And, but, oh, the nautical, the way he writes a ba- uh, sea battle is just wonderful. And so, uh, but he, he does not pull any punches with his nautical terminology. Yeah, uses but everything. He, it's hook, line, and sinker. You take it or leave it. If you can't wade through it, just stop reading. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because he throws in things like what they were eating. Um, historically accurate dishes that that sta- sound just stomach turning. Yeah, you know it's English food to start with. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, it's been in a barrel for a year and a half. Salt, salt beef, and salt pork, and things mm-hmm. like that. But so yeah, all the terminology is there. Um, and then several books were written after by fans, I guess, to basically to glossary all this stuff. Okay. In fact, there was even a cookbook. 
<laughs> the Patrick O'Brien cookbook or something like that. And uh, we can learn how to make nasty English food. How to make things like spotted dick, right? <laughs> Which is a sausage baked and it's got liver in it and blah. Oh, sounds horrible. As long as it doesn't have haggis, right? Right, right. Never know. I have actually eaten haggis. Yeah. How was it? Oh, not bad. It's no? spicy. I've yeah. I've heard quite a bit. I. For me, the main thing was Highlander when he makes fun of him for being – makes fun of Sean Connery for being a haggis. Right. And Sean Connery's, what's haggis? And you eat it? <laughs> you, you eat it? <laughs> or what do right. you do with it? You eat it. Yeah, that's uh, just silly, silly fun. What, yeah. uh I completely – oh, have you ever thought of uh, working with any of the authors to do crossovers or has that ever come up in – I don't know if they have big giant Paizo Pathfinder Tales meetings with everybody together or they really don't. And I've mentioned it to a couple other the authors and there's I don't think the uh I don't think the publisher would 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 want us to do that. They they kinda want the individual stories and things like that. I have used terminology. For instance, somebody in Pyrus Prophecy orders a bottle of wine and it just happens to be from a vineyard owned by Count Jagere. Oh really? I didn't catch that. Yeah, there's a nice little there's a nice little you know Easter egg in there, but it's a Paizo Easter egg. Okay, that's so. that's kind of cool. Well, I was I was recently going through the the Liars series by Tim Pratt. Uh huh. And I think it's Liars Island, and and I'm going through it, and there's a part where he's going to he's he's passing Catapesh, and he looks over and he sees a gray corsair taking on a slave ship and sinking the slave ship, and I thought. What wouldn't it have been really cool to have him glance over and go, "What kind of a name is Stargazer?" And that's it. And, just, <laughs> and I thought that would have been kind. Of, and I was waiting for it because I thought, "Well, that might happen." But I just thought that would have been kind of cool. And then it made me wonder if anybody, you know, has thought about doing things like that. And obviously, you did with the wine, which I didn't even catch. But I'm only I've only read two of those the, that a, series. So it's a really esoteric little little snippet it's just you know and most people wouldn't even know that jagari owns own the, owns this particular you know estate yeah but if you dig deep enough it's there yeah definitely it's also nice to see because they sail and they're all over the place being able to see on the map you know okay oh. where they're going here well yeah it take, only takes this line to go from here and there because of and you can see the distance on there and you kind of get the idea yeah and when they talk about well this is what the the shores are and all that kind of thing to know, okay, well, they got to go into the deeper water and not the deeper water, so it takes longer or shorter. And to be able to look kind of at the map and kind of get an idea of exactly what you're explaining. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Yep, maps are fun. Did, um, when you were bringing in other, bringing in characters, main characters such as Zarina Capoli, did you know ahead of time what kind of a class you would make them? I'm doing air quotes, even though you can't see the air quotes. When you bring in characters, do you give a class to a character based on the character, or do you like I, go, okay, well, I need, I want to do this, and they're kind of, in this case, they're in an, probably an inquisitor, so and then design the character around the class, or how are you doing that? Um, when when I especially something like Zarina Capoli, and I and I went back and forth a million times with with um, Rebecca too. What class would be most beneficial in this particular for this particular job? Um, I mean, we don't earn. I don't. We don't. Lo we don't know until 
the second book that Rebbe Shafei is actually a spy. Yeah. But major spoiler there for anybody who hasn't read the <laughs> second or the first book. But anyway, um, but and I thought about making her the archetype spy, but that didn't really work. Um, so I made her, you know, a little bit of a, a, a rogue poisoner mm-hmm. and a sorceress. And there's so many spells that she could use for that. And then when you have somebody who's hunting the spy, it had to be an inquisitor. So that was the one. I mean, it. The answer is it depends because I had I had um, Reva Jaffe all fleshed out before I really solidified her character. I mean, yeah. her her class types, okay. right? And then when I needed an opponent for her. Zarina Capoli, I said, okay, they're going to send an Inquisitor. Now, who's this character? What's she like? And how can I play with this? All right. So, so you see what I mean? Yeah. It depends on how you approach something. Did you? So, since you didn't know what what class again, air quotes, that uh, Jaffe was, did you did you know ahead of time that her cat was going to be a familiar, or did you Absolutely. just kind of okay? Yep. That was the big the big thing I kept hidden throughout the whole first novel. Yeah, and I didn't catch it personally, and nobody yeah, did. Right. But then when they saw it, they went, "Oh my gosh, that's so awesome!" And then yeah. looking back from the uh-huh. second book to the first book, yeah. and seeing all the little things that you did <laughs> with that that nobody knew <laughs> until then, you're like, "Wait a second! Well, that makes total sense now. That's why that happened." Right, exactly. And um, here's here's something that you might not have picked up is uh, and still hasn't. This is a reveal. So. Uh-huh. In, in Pirate's Honor, when uh, Celeste is grudgingly accept, accepting training in how to be a courtesan yes. from Brevage of Bay, and she's using her transformation spell to assume human form, right? Mm-hmm. Brevage of Bay can't cast Charm Monster on oh. Celeste, but she can cast Charm Person, Person. on Celeste when Celeste is in human form. Which and is... so that which is what she does yeah. to get information about Torius. <laughs> and I was curious about that because I got there, and, and there are times, because I actually listen to the audiobooks because I, I work. Oh, yeah, I, those audios are awesome. I work in a vehicle where I drive all day, so I get to listen to all of these books, and it's great for me because, you know, you get a lot a lot bigger. You don't have to come up with the voices. They right. come up with them for you, and it makes it so much easier to get ingrained into the books for me. Uh, I have a hard time. I sometimes have a hard time sitting down and opening a book because I'm always I always want to be out doing something. Right. So it's been really nice for me to be able to do that. And as I was going through and doing the and I don't even know why I brought that up off the top of my head, but the the fact that I was sitting there wondering, okay, when something happens, I will out loud go, Oh my god or I'll like when you're watching a movie or anything anything right. like that. And there are sometimes I'm like, Oh man and it's one of those times was when later you find out where she charmed Celeste. Right. And I went, uh-huh. oh, that explains everything. That's why right. she just started spilling her guts. And she even said, I don't know why I just told her everything. Right. It really exactly. doesn't make sense. And I totally missed the fact that, oh, yeah, charm person wouldn't have worked on her until you just mentioned it. And, right. yeah, it wouldn't. But, yes, she was in human form. So it worked. Yep. So it worked. And that's, yeah, that's just... There's just so many little minute details that are so fun. much fun that you have that you've brought out and put into there. What um, what about some of the other smaller characters such as Twilp? 
Um, Twilp kind of is one of those little side. First of all, I love side characters. Yeah. Um, I think it adds depth to the story. Um, if you're always just following the protagonist and he doesn't really have a whole cadre of other people interacting with him or her, mm-hmm. um, it kind of seems a little too two dimensional. Yeah. So yeah, the whole crew, as many of the crew as I can flesh out, um, Soursop and Twilp Farfan and all these other characters, they start out as kind of just interesting personas, but the more I interact with them, the more real they become. Do they sometimes develop on accident? Oh, yeah, totally. One of them um, that developed on accident, as far as the uh, crew is concerned, is uh, Wendy Kate Mm -hmm. and Lacey Jane, the lookout. Yeah. Well, if you've read Pirate's Prophecy... Gilly? um, There's a... they, they, uh, They have another crewman that is basically ascending the ranks and her name is Callie and she's a Gilman. Yeah, that's what I, mean. I put Callie and Gilman put together and I accidentally said Gilman. Right. But yeah, so, Callie. And there's little relationship things going on. And then what's fun when you're doing that and a reader gets used to you doing that is you will just in passing create another little character and and the reader will want wonder, oh, I wonder if this is going to be a major development here. Is this person going to you know, and maybe they won't, but maybe they will. See what I mean? Yeah, exactly, because you don't know. So there's depth there. It adds depth. But yeah, I like Twilp. When you so. ended up getting uh, the Gilman into the into the story after they, however they got in there, we, I won't say, but when they got them in there, the first thing I thought to myself is like, well, if I had a sea elf with my character, which in, in gaming I did, I was like, I would totally have them clean the barnacles off the bottom of the ship every yeah. single ch- time we stopped. And as soon as that I said that, I got to that point where they had to, had them go down and do that, and I went, oh, my God, this is so awesome. That's because I have had my boat so barnacled up that it would barely sail. Wow. <laughs> and it makes a huge difference. So, yeah, that would give them a fighting edge that most ships wouldn't have. So, yeah. yeah. Some of the explaining the differences in the sizes of the ships and stuff, too, was really, really nice and really great to understand, especially in the final – final showdown at the end of the third book where you right. actually get to understand the some of the real differences between the ships and their sizes and how it really yeah. matters. Oh, yeah, yeah. I also like some of the tactics uh, that, that you ended up using, like the 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 part to like, well, I'm going to carry some extra ballast so we look weighted down like we're carrying cargo or throwing up right. the black sails so that nobody can see us coming at night. Are right. those things that... You thought of on your own, or you read about, or oh, no, just in your no, experience? That's all stock and trade. That's all stock and trade stuff. Yeah, yeah. That they, you know, disguise ships, mm-hmm. um, um, all kinds of things like that. You know, using um, the wrong flags, obviously. Well, wrong flags, paint, um, covering up gun ports with cloth, so it looks like, uh, you know, like a whaler or a merchant ship, mm-hmm. um, and then go into a port, sail into a port on the wrong flag, and unload just. Before anybody can react, you've sunk two ships, you know yeah. what I mean? And, uh, yeah, the Brits and the French did that all the time. Um, a ruse de guerre, uh, you know, basically, it's your, it's a, a tactic of war to lie through your teeth, you know? <laughs> yes, it is. It, it's just basic deception. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of stock and trade stuff. Somebody had, but, I had read somewhere where they were talking about throwing mattresses in behind, the ship 
And I always wondered, where do they get mattresses from? Because they said that they would throw them in the back to weigh them down and slow down the ship to help them be able to to slow down or look more weighted down. And I always thought to myself, did they actually have mattresses? Or did they just say mattresses and they were using something else? Or It must have been a modern ship. Ah, that might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Very much. But yeah, the idea of drogues, you know, to slow the ship down. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. When you wrote Stargazer, did you already have that in mind after, like, while you were uh, writing the Pirate's Honor, the the little Um, short story you did? Actually, Stargazer came first. So you actually Um, wrote that first and that was released first? uh, It wasn't really – it was released – at the same time as the novel, but okay. but that was the first job I got for Paizo. All right. it, it was very interesting. Here's the sequence of events. So I went to um, um, Sutter at Gen Con and pitched myself to him. Okay. And you do this a lot as a writer. You throw things out there to publishers and things like that, and you just kind of wait. So okay. I sent him a writing sample, which was actually some excerpts from the, the Stimus RC's novels. Okay. And... Um, and then I waited. And then about the first of the year, I think Sutter was like cleaning out his inbox and and he um, emailed me and said, So I like what you sent me. Can you send can you can we do a you know a eight thousand word short story, you know, four chapters, two hundred two thousand words apiece, cliffhangers, that kind of thing. Throw me some pitches, and I did. And uh, he said, okay, I like this one. And I said, great, that's the one I like too. And it was Stargazer. So I wrote it up and um, sent it to him in record time because I was really jazzed. Yeah. And and he said, wow, that was quick. Let me read this. And um, something must have clicked in his head because the next email I got from him was – the subject line was Paizo Novel? question (laughs) mark, Which is like, this doesn't happen. Yeah. I just – I got incredibly lucky, stepped right into it, and what had happened was he had a novelist step out, so he had a hole in his publication schedule. And this was fairly early. This was like the second or third year, or second year that they they were even publishing. Yeah. Now, consider things are always like a year ahead, at least. Yeah. So uh, he said, I like the characters i like the way you're writing and i want to publish this but what i want to do is i want to hold it back until the novel comes out um because i don't want to prime the pump too much um and what we can do is uh outline the novel and blah 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 blah. but here's the here's the thing i need the finished product in five months and i was like okay i can do that and uh that i could give him what he wanted fast and reasonably clean got me the job. So, and now but yeah, lots for, of fans. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. The the interesting part was that they decided to hold back publishing Stargazer on the web fic until oh. the novel was slated to come out. So, okay, so that explains yeah. strategy thing. I didn't really understand it, but then again, I'm not a publisher. Well, it's kind of fun for me because. Because I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't even see or know about Stargazer till after Pirates Promise, and I was like, "What's this? Oh, right. well, I gotta see this." And I wasn't, and I had no idea what I was getting into. And then when I got the story, it was kind of fun for me to be able to go back and see what happened before. 
Right. So the real question, I guess, I guess a roundabout way is, had you ever thought about doing a how the crew got together to begin with, the whole how Torius Finn, you know, escapes the slavers and all of that? Have you ever thought about writing that story? Very much, yes. As a matter of fact, um, I was all slated to uh, to write that and um, send it in to the as a you know one of the short stories they put up on their fanfic page okay. or on their on their you know short fiction page, web yeah. fiction page, and then they stopped doing web fiction. Oh. And so we kind of said, well, you know, maybe not. But, you know, a lot of people have asked me that question. And what I might end up doing is maybe going to Wayfinder magazine. Okay, yeah. And just saying, look, some people have been asking me for a prequel, just a short story prequel. How do you guys feel about, you know, if I write something? Because that's a totally volunteer effort. Yeah, I, all it's of us have submitted things to them a couple times. Right, yeah, so... So, um, and they do a beautiful job. That's a nice magazine. We actually had a big half-page ad in their last one, so. Oh, excellent. Very cool. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're donating to the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, but I, I do have that story in my head, yeah. Because it's alluded to that Snick and Grogel were there. Yeah, it is. But, uh. Not that but yeah. anybody else necessarily, never mind. <laughs> right. I was, yeah. I was agreeing with you as if. You wouldn't have known otherwise, but obviously you're the one writing it, so it's. Oh. I didn't mean to make it sound like that when I was like, yeah, it does. No, not at all. Yeah. You're correct, because otherwise you'd be wrong if you weren't correct, because <laughs> I'm dumb. <laughs> Oops. How can I be wrong? I make up this shit as I go. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of the Pathfinder Tales, what are uh, you want to list off to the our audience some of your other other books and maybe tell us a little segue a little, little tiny clip about some of these books or book series, other ones that you have out there? Sure. Well, like I said, my, my wife and I, we self-publish as well. So under the imprint of Jack's Books, that's J-A-X Books, we have uh, published, oh, geez, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, ten or eleven novels and some novellas. And uh, one of the series in that effort has uh, kind of gone a little viral. The uh, Weapon of Flesh series is a magical assassin series. And uh, totally not nautical. Um, so for a taste of something different. <laughs> so it, it's about a boy who was raised from birth to be the perfect assassin. And he's imbued with all this magical strength and speed through runes that are etched into his flesh. Okay. And But the runes also, like, suppress his psyche. So he doesn't feel pain or fear or anger or hate or love or anything. Right? Wow. And then... When he's being sent out to the uh, man who contracted him to be made, um, he inadvertently gets out on his own alone, right? So he's a blank slate. He has no idea how to interact with people other than to end their lives, which he's very, very good at. And um, he just looks like a peasant boy, right? Okay. He doesn't even have a name. It's about now the good guys and the bad guys are after him, and he doesn't even know what it is to be human. All he knows is his destiny is down this road. This is the direction they were going. So Interesting. Yeah. It, but that, that series kind of took off, and now we're five books into it. The uh, the primary trilogy, Weapon of Flesh trilogy, was pretty much a Kindle smash hit, um, and one of the reasons we're still sailing. Um, <laughs> Which is made, a good thing. Yeah, it made us quite a bundle. We sold, oh, probably thirty or 40,000 copies. Great. On Kindle. And now we've started a second trilogy, but it's basically book four and five of the series uh, with a secondary character spinoff. Okay. Um, and um, and we'll be publishing the sixth next summer. So, awesome. 
But the the fifth in the series, Weapon of Pain, just came out like weeks ago. But uh, and it's interesting because um, you talk about new projects. My cover artist for all of those books, uh, his name is Noah Stacy, and he's one of the. We've been friends for more than a decade now. Okay. And he's he's done all of my self-published covers except for some novellas that were science fictiony and a little bit different. Um, and um, so I he lives up in Vancouver, uh, BC, and I, I've seen. I've met him like three times, but we really click. And uh, his artwork never ceases to just amaze and inspire me. So I had this idea for a collection of short stories. I was gifted a sketch pad, a leather-bound sketch pad, by a fan of the Paizo books, as a matter of fact, at DragonCon last year. And I can't draw to save my life. (laughs) Stick figures? Uh, not even. Wow. I can do I can do like schematics. Okay. You know, ship schematics and a little cartography, but artwork, uh-uh, can't do it. And I have tried. But uh, Noah is just brilliant, and his imagination drives me crazy. And so what I did was, we were just up in Vancouver, and I gave him the sketchbook. And I said, look, you just have fun with this. Knock yourself out. You know, get stoned, get drunk, and hey. <laughs> And and do do amazing things. Then scan the images and send them to me, and I will write short stories inspired from these images. Nice. And and his just like sketches are just jaw dropping. And so what I'm going to do, what we are going to do, because it is a collaborative effort, yeah, is um, incorporate his images and my stories in okay. a collection of short stories. Nice. And that's going to be through your self publishing. Yeah, I think it's going to be self-publishing. I might pitch it to one of the big boys, and if they bite, great. But if yeah. they don't, you know, I'm not going to delay it. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of aiming maybe towards next next summer. Okay. For the project, but uh, but so that's a lot of fun. I've got other projects in the works. I just uh, got a short story into a second Shadowrun anthology, the uh, the Tarot uh, Cards of the Tarot. Anthology. I got the death card. How cool is that? <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I, I'm, I, my first story was in the World of Shadows anthology that came out, I think, last year, uh, and that was a lot of fun. I got to write a Caribbean shadow run. Wow. And I follow, and I follow that character into the second one. So that's a lot of fun. I really like John Helpers, the the editor at at Catalyst, the shadow run editor at Catalyst. He's a cool guy. Okay. So, might be some future stuff there, and. Privateer Press, I've been writing some stuff for their Iron Kingdoms. I had a novella come out with them, and there's a novel that is in process right now. Um, also pirate-oriented. Awesome. And um, I'm stepping out with some other things in the future that can't really be... Oh, well, of course, the Ed Greenwood group stuff. Yeah. Um, and so... How's that coming um, along? That's going That's going well. Um, the Second World was just announced, and it is a high fantasy world. Oh. It's called Storm Talons. Okay. And uh, I have a novel coming out in Storm Talons, um, a pirate novel, right? So, but that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, its title is The Queen's Scourge. Okay. So, it's about magic and domination and whips. So, oh my. Oh my. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Um, and I just love working with Ed Greenwood. His his energy is just boundless. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, every time uh, he's been with us, it's we kind of just sit back let him, and let him go. Let him go. In fact, the only 
the only downside to working with Ed is he's hard to stop. <laughs> <laughs> he's hard to put reins on and say, whoa, Edward, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... But uh, but things are taking shape. Um, you know, it's there's some of the typical little glitchy, glitchy things with new projects. There's distribution issues and stuff like that. But the Hellmaw book I put out and Eric's novel for them have done pretty well. We've gotten good reviews anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm very happy with that. And uh, I guess we could work a sequel into that eventually. So. Awesome. But, yep. Uh, when it comes down to role playing, switch gears real quick. When it comes down to role playing, what's your do? You, are you mostly uh, because you're traveling so much? Are you mostly doing like society stuff, or is it just you and your wife, or is it just wherever you go, you join some people, or how do you how do you work that out? It's really hard to find games when we're out sailing. Uh, it's almost impossible. And what's even worse is we don't really ever have a decent connection. So like playing online games is is even worse yeah so what we do is we save up all our gaming energy and we come back to the states and we hang out at our friend's house okay and for like a month and we game incessantly when we're not when we're not writing or reading we're playing pathfinder or grups or let's see what else are we playing oh some board games we love the uh the uh, firefly board game yeah i've heard great things about that that is a kick-ass game, and um, the oh, what's what's it called? Uh, it's a Lovecraftian board game. Arkham, Arkham Horror. We play Arkham Horror mm-hmm. and a few other games like that. Not to mention video games. My wife is totally addicted to Skyrim. Nice. But uh, it, it's a good thing we don't have a like room on the boat for a big computer and fancy monitor and stuff like that. Otherwise, I'd never get any work out. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, my wife is, is pretty much my first-line editor, and she's the reason that, that my other editors like me. Is, uh, is The prose turns out pretty clean after she gets done with it. Well, that's good. Yeah. What's, when, you, when you're playing Pathfinder, what kind of classes do you like playing? Oh, I, I love playing rogue characters. Mm-hmm. In fact, even, even if my character's not a rogue, I will do roguey things. <laughs> um, Man after my own heart. Yeah. I, I have a monk character that I am really, really proud of. He's kind of patterned off of a character. I don't know if you've ever watched the ancient animated movie Wizards. No. Okay. I've heard of it. It is a 1970s psychedelic fantasy mishmash weirdness thing. Okay. And and there was a, a robotic assassin who tried to kill this wizard, and he just basically did a reboot on, on the on the robot and then made him peaceful. And so he's still a warrior, but he's a peaceful warrior and his nick and his name is peace. Right. Okay. And so I created a monk character who's a half orc escaped from Belkin and, you know, with all that baggage. Right. Yeah. So, so he's got like one, one level of barbarian and then he completely changes his outlook on life and becomes a monk. That's a monk fun. of Iori. And so his name is Peace. So, yeah, I like monk characters, rogue characters. I never uh, thought about putting Barbarian with monk. They, they don't seem like well, they would go, but yeah. They're diametrically opposed on alignment. So yeah. who, whoever starts out as a Barbarian has to go through an alignment shift to become a monk. Yeah. And But it works perfectly if, if he's an escaped, you know, neutral character from, or lawful he becomes lawful once he becomes a monk with yeah. Dory. But so yeah, it's 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 
it's playable. I've worked it up on, uh, you know, I've worked up the character. So, mm-hmm. do you uh, ever have thoughts of like telling more about what some of your characters' classes and levels might be? Because obviously, you're not going to pigeonhole yourself. Right. They don't like me to do that. No. Paizo doesn't like me to do that. In fact, I, and, I, I, and I understand. I totally yeah. makes sense because it doesn't. It takes away your freedom as a writer. Yeah, it kind of, and it opens yourself up for criticism later on. Wait a second, you didn't do this right. You well, know, that kind of thing. Maybe, maybe I can ask one thing because it's something we're all curious of. And and you can say more than likely. That way you're <laughs> not pigeonholed and right. forcing yourself. But would you say that maybe in this last book, Celeste maybe got a level of Oracle? That is a little bit more than likely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we assumed so. But yeah. It's, it's, well, it's right know. out of the rule book. I mean, her speaking in tongues yeah. during combat and her little augury thing. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. kind of a, a of a. But it was fun to play with that. In with the reason she got that is is look what she did in the previous novel. Yeah, with the observatory. She defended Desra's shrine, mm-hmm. or Desna's shrine. I'm sorry, Desna's shrine. So Desna said, "Oh, nice little lady. I think I'll give you a level." And I, <laughs> I, and I, I really did enjoy that. And, we were always curious because, and obviously, there's no real, you don't need to do, explain, but it was really interesting to go, okay, and we're always debating, and I, I'm not asking you to answer this, but we're always debating, okay, well, did she gain a level like a hit dice as a as a, another level higher of Lunar Naga, or did she just get a level of Sorcerer and it just kind of stacked on, or did, so we were always, we're always debating that, and again, you don't need to answer that, but we were right. always internally our internal debate is I was talking, okay, well, exactly how would this work out? And right. we don't care if – because GMs can go, yeah, you gain five spells for free that you can do every day. Right. Well, that's a good rule. Who cares? The GM lets you do it. In this case, right. you're the author. The author, let, right. author says it's okay. It's okay because he says right. you said it. It's good. So, so the te- I won't really answer the question, but technically, as soon as, as, soon as um, Celeste started casting – Spells above like second level. Yeah, she was more than just a. She was an advanced lunar naga. Okay. But if you if you look at the spell selection lunar nagas get, they're yeah. sorcerers. Yeah. That's it. So that was really simple. So mm-hmm. be, she's basically a sorcerer. Yeah. And and but she's got all the pluses and advances and and natural abilities of a lunar naga. Um, yeah. I personally, then, if I were having somebody else do it, if I were GMing, I would have just said gain a level of. Extra, gain an extra hit dice of Lunar Naga, but right. since you're a sorcerer, you just get to pick your next tier of spells that you get to have, is how I right. would have done it, and that's how I would have explained it if I were telling somebody this is how it is. Obviously, yeah. that's not what everyone else says. Some people, just, you know, so right. I really, but that's cool, because, yeah, t- it says right on there that they're sorcerers. Right, yeah, so, but, yeah, so that works. Yeah. But it's lots of fun. Yeah, the characters, all of the characters are just so much fun. That that is the key. I think I think the key to writing good fiction is is always characters first. The plots and and conflicts and setting are important, but we read books. I read books anyway because I fall in love or hate or lust or whatever with the characters. Yeah. And and that's why I find it really hard to get into books where where I don't have that. Even even books that I'm really invested in in the uh, in the setting. Or something like that. Tie-in novels, things like that. Where if I don't if I don't feel like I've got a real investiture in the characters, I'm not that into it. 
yeah, you don't need to go look at the tie-ins because. Right. Yeah. But but if somebody writes a great tie-in with a great character, I mm-hmm. love it. You know. Do you read the the other Pathfinder Tales books as well? Some of them, I try all to, of them. I try to read as many as I can. I've I've been trying to pick them up on audio because we do have a lot of travel time too. Yeah. And um, and the audios are very good. Um. So yeah. Have you listened to your own on audio? I have, and I really love them. Yeah. No doubt. In fact, between the the first two and Pirates Prophecy, they changed narrators. Yeah. And I was I was kind of terrified that they were doing that because the 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 I can't remember the guy's name that did the first two. Yeah. He did a br- did a brilliant job. Yes. And Steve West, who who did Pirates Prophecy, mm-hmm. has a British accent. Right. And so and I he does quite of, a few of the Pathfinder Tales books. He uh he takes over for the second two of Liar's Blade. I think he takes over the last one for Dave Gross's yes, he did. series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but he does a great job. I I just listened to uh, Pirates Prophecy on audio, as a matter of fact, and um I love he, I love what he does with Snick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does a good job. I yeah. haven't I haven't heard a bad one yet. I haven't heard a bad audio version of a Python on your tail yet. So. Yeah, it's just for me. It was always there's always when you start a new book or a new story with new characters, that first chapter or two is always where it's really dicey because you don't, if you don't know what's going on or how the reader's going to read. Uh-huh. Because when you're reading it, you'll see the quote, and then afterwards it'll say so and so said. Right. So unless the audiobook person, the post person reading it isn't able to change that voice or change enough for you to know. You don't know until after he's quoted him and then goes, Grogal said, or, or, you know, Roderick said, or, you know, whoever said. So you really rely on the audio person to be able to differentiate the characters regardless of where it is. And that's got to be a pain in the butt because, you know, they have to read that ahead of time to know and then prepare almost each chapter. I, I can't imagine how hard that is. Um. What a lot of the audio, uh, um, the readers will do, the narrators will do, is they'll, they will read an entire novel one character at a time. And then, um, clip it all together. Wow. Yeah, um, I had, I had some novellas, uh, th- this is my, another little side project that's been out there for years. Alright. Um, is, uh, I did a trilogy of novellas in a, in a science fiction humor, satire world um and they're called cheese runners and um <laughs> it's basically about the future where aliens land on earth and basically tell us that we're a third world toilet planet that can't can't produce anything on the galactic market worth you know anything so here comes the foreign aid oh and we'll solve all your problems no war no famine you know no money uh hmm, a lot of pissed off humans yeah and so but then humankind realizes that that cheese is a narcotic in these aliens' metabolism, right? <laughs> so that relegates Earth to the status of, like, Columbia. <laughs> and it's all about illicit substances. And I get to poke fun at a lot of things, you know, everything from drug interdiction to war to, you know, all these all these fun things. Yeah. But so what I did was, when it was just coming out, and I had done it as kind of an experiment if I could be funny, and I got a lot of great feedback on it. And um, so I went to a voice actor whom I knew, bumped into at a convention once again. Okay. Um, his name's Jeff Breslauer, and he's an actor. He's done Batman, um, 
animated Batman series. He was the Joker. He does great voices, unbelievable yeah. voices. And um, he, we agreed. We cut a deal, and he did the audios. Well, that was back in the day before Audible. Okay. Um, and so they never really got marketed very well. I sold, you know, a couple hundred copies of the whole trilogy. Um, but now we're working on re redoing, not re-recording the whole thing, but reformatting everything and putting it out on Audible. So that might be out soon. Yeah, you'll have to definitely shoot me an email or something. We'll have us put it on the site, and we'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah, but uh, they are available in Kindle and, and print format from, okay. from, uh, from Amazon already. Oh, awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I went with a different cover artist, a guy named Brian King. They're very cartoony covers, They're, but, you know, it's satire. It's supposed to be. Yeah. They, they kind of remind me of the old Terry Pratchett covers, okay. you know, the, the um, I don't know the the uh, what's the name of that world? Discworld. Oh yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. Really cartoony stuff, you know. But but that's it's supposed to be because it's it's satire. So, but they're fun things. Are you a fan of uh, Discworld? Yeah, I am to a certain degree. Have you played um, the board game? No, I have not. It is if if you've read the stories and you 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 are into it. I'd, I'd highly suggest getting the board game and playing it because it really flushes out a lot of the a lot of the characters and stuff. You get to see it. And it's kind of kind of like little cameos here and there. It's really fun. That would be fun because a good friend of mine is is a Terry Pratchett fan as well. Okay. So maybe I'll play her the board game and we'll sit down and play it. Yeah, it's lots of fun. What other board games are you into? While we're talking about um, board games, other than Firefly and Arkham Horror, um, not too many. No. Have you played the Pathfinder card game yet? I have played it. Um, but I haven't gotten really invested in it. Yeah. Um, just first, just because we don't have anybody to play with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in fact, I've got PFS characters too, but I only get to play them about twice a year. Oh. Well, the great thing about the card game is you can play it one and two players. You can play it by yourself okay. and you can play it with two people. It's not easy, but right. you can do it. Uh, me and my right. wife play from time to time, just the two of us, but we do have people over every couple weeks to end up playing it but we've really gotten into it and really have been enjoying it as a as a game to play with people i've played right. i've played in the the card game in society groups and it's not as fun because the rules are quite a bit different right but it's still a great fun little game to play yeah. and and do and it's if you don't have time to with all the social interaction of role playing but you want right. to still kind of play it's kind of a good little little way to get into it or if someone's also, not sure with role-playing, you can tice them with that, and then once they play that and they like that, then you're like, well, let's try role-playing. <laughs> yeah, we're also big into playing Munchkin. Oh, yeah. So, I love Munchkin. It just, we laugh our asses off the whole time, you know. So here's something we do with Munchkin, and, I, and I'll throw this out there because it might be fun. I don't know what you guys usually do for holidays or Christmas or anything like that. But for us, we get all of our friends together for Christmas. And we have like a friend's Christmas party. But we tell everybody to bring a gift that's under $20. A lot of people will try and get something that's worth more than $20 but not pay more than $20 because it's still within the rules. Or right. some people will get gag gifts for the you know for under $20 or something. But they'll all come wrapped in their, their white elephant gifts. And we'll right. sit down for Munchkin. And what will happen is anytime you gain a level, you are forced to switch gifts with somebody. Oh, wow. So everybody starts off with a gift that's not their own. And us as the house, we supply extra ones for the middle of the table. So there's always one that nobody has. Uh -huh. And so every time you gain a level, you have to switch with somebody. 
and every time you can steal a card or or affect somebody like that, like steal a card or steal an item or steal right. something, steal right. a level, anytime you steal anything, you also have to switch a gift. So if you do it two or three times on your turn, you have to switch two or three times during your turn. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And so when the game is done, the person who wins gets the gift in the middle, and the gift that you're stuck with is the gift that you're stuck with at the end of the right. day. So that's what we do with Munchkin every year, and it's a lot of fun, and it really – some people are like, oh, I really want that gift, and so they'll go after the gift. And they're not paying attention to Munchkin as much as trying to strategize how they're going to do it. And obviously right. if you're the person who wins, you don't – you on the turn that you're about to win, you want to make sure you don't have what you want. Because when you win, you gain a level and you have to switch out. Right. So you might lose the gift you want if you win. So it's a right. fun little strategy and thing to do for Munchkin. Right. So I'll throw that out to you guys if you guys end up playing yeah. it. That'd be fun. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I think we've pretty much covered all the bases. <laughs> I'm going to be at uh, Gen Con. All right. And I'm going to be at Dragon Con. Uh, we have tables at both. I'll be in Author Avenue at, uh, at Gen Con and signing books at Paizo. Also, I have my own table at at DragonCon in the dealer's room. So look me up. Awesome. Well, my wife usually goes to DragonCon, so I'll probably send her your way to say hi. Do it. And Adam, yeah. Adam, who you chat with before, and he's working with you guys, uh, Ed, the Ed Greenwood group, he, yeah. I believe, is also going to be at GenCon, so maybe I'll have him swing himself your way and you guys can meet in person. Do so. That'll be fun. Awesome. Well, best okay, of luck yeah. on all of your upcoming releases and stuff. Yep, and thanks for Nick. No thanks problem. for getting in touch with me and and thanks for being patient with my weird schedule. Hey, that's nothing nothing big. Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm glad to have Very you cool. on and it was lots of fun. I'll let you get back to yeah. your to your busy busy schedule. Ain't it true? <laughs> I can't wait for your next book. Thanks, man. All right, you have a good one. You too. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs> <laughs>